and welcome to the Women in Sport podcast brought to you by CSM Live. We're back and we have a bumper episode for you. We're going to be discussing the visibility of women's sport and we're now about one year on from that amazing summer last year when we had big events like the FIFA Women's World Cup, Netball World Cup, World Athletics Championships, just to name some of the bigger ones. And this summer, because of COVID-19 and its impact on sport, we're faced with a pretty quiet summer for women's sport, as most of the key events this summer have been postponed, cancelled or delayed, including the Olympic and Paralympic Games, Netball Super League, Wimbledon, the Women's 100 and loads more. So to unpack and discuss all of that, I'm joined by an athlete who's aiming to take the stage in Tokyo next summer, climber Molly Thompson-Smith. Hi, Molly. How are you? Hiya, I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. And I know you're you're joining us from your car, and I think you've been <laughs> you've been in lockdown in Germany. Is that right? Yeah. So as soon as the UK started to go into lockdown, I left the country with my boyfriend who lives in Cologne, um, because Germany seemed to be in a little bit of a better situation than the UK at the time. And as he's already qualified for Tokyo, he had access to training facilities, and I was. I played the little, oh yeah, I'll just come and support you at training. So I was also allowed access to these facilities too. So um, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to train pretty much this whole time. And I've just finished training now. So you, are you coming back to the UK anytime soon or? Uh, maybe for a little visit, but uh, as we all know, gyms and climbing walls aren't open yet. So I'd be coming back to uh, less facilities. So I think I'll wait a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it sounds like sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah. We're also joined by Alexandra Kirksmith from Goodform and Goodform, an agency that we recently partnered with to get some data about sports fans and their opinions about women's sport. Hi, Ali. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for having me on the podcast. No, it's great. It's great to have you. And finally. We have Anita Jones, who is co-host and producer of the Women's Sports Show on BBC London, which kind of does what it says on the tin, Anita. It does indeed. (laughs) Talking all things women's sport. Exactly, exactly, which is definitely why you're here. So um, firstly, I want to kick off by asking you, Molly, as someone who's you know, been really directly impacted by this um, postponement of the Olympics. I know you hadn't qualified yet. So what does this delay mean for you? Um, it was really frustrating as, well, my qualification event was in March and I found out four days before pretty much that it had been postponed, um, which was, well, of course I trained really hard and I felt good. Um, but I mean, it was, it was a pandemic, so you can't really be too mad about it, but it was then postponed to June and well, we've, June has been and gone and it was postponed again to October and then it was postponed again to November. So I think it was just really hard to be like green light, red light, green light, red light when it came to like training and preparing then. Um, so that, that was quite and has that has that had any impact on things like sponsors or or anything else not having that consistent kind of event schedule? How has it impacted any other elements of your your career? I've been very lucky to be working with um, really supportive sponsors, and um, well, they understand the situation. And there's only so much I can do. Like I can't make a competition and turn up to it. So they've 
they've been really cool about it and supporting me to be as ready as possible whenever I need to be. Um, so that's been really nice. But I've been doing a lot more stuff on social media, I guess, during this time um, for them, which is uh, a little unusual. I'm like first and foremost an athlete and I've had to try and uh, get better at using social media. Have you been have you been roped in to do some of that sort of hashtag ad kind of stuff? Yeah, and I even um, I did a live yoga class, which when I was asked to do it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's fine. I do yoga every day. Like I can take people through like a little yoga sequence. And then I realized you actually have to talk when you do your yoga and like explain what you're doing. And it was a whole new thing when I realized that. And I was actually really scared to do it because it was live as well. Um, but yeah, like things like that, like I'm a climber, I'm not a yoga instructor, but there you go. During lockdown, I did a, a live yoga lesson and um, doing vlogs and pull up progressions and like all sorts of things that I didn't actually see myself doing in this Olympic year. So you've had to be forced to diversify a little bit. Yeah I mean the plan definitely changed and I, I don't think anyone predicted this year to be like this and and yeah it's not gone at all how I thought it would. Anita, BBC London Women's Sports Show is um, just over a year old. Did, did, it, did it come about because of that big summer last year? Is, is that, do you think that's one of the reasons that the show was launched in the first place? It was a huge catalyst because, you know, the BBC started this campaign called Change the Game, which was really putting women's sport at the forefront. And they made this commitment to show more live air or live free to air women's sport than they'd ever done before and so the conversation was naturally there and I think we as consumers of sport had really we had this appetite to see more so it just seemed logical to have this show that explored the characters behind these athletes because unfortunately where you they don't necessarily always have the funding they've got to show more of their character to get people involved and want to follow them so that's really I think what's been one of the catalysts as I said to start the show and what's helped it continue even during COVID-19. And what's it been like in lockdown obviously since March we haven't really had much women's sport so what sort of things have you been talking about how has the content situation changed for you? You think have you would think rather having no live sport would be such a handicap, especially for a show like ours. But it's actually, I think, done the opposite and it's helped serve as a stark reminder that a lot of female athletes still have to fund their passion in 2020, which is just awful. You know, we heard stories from athletes that were on the front line, a couple that come to mind, um, the world's lacrosse captain, Eleanor Gastra, she's an anaesthetist. Then there was a rugby player, Jade Knight, she's a midwife. So a lot of these athletes who, you know, we only see them in a sporting element have actually played such a huge role during this pandemic. And I think it's great to highlight this because why should they be funding their passion in 2020? That, that's my big question. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but you'd think we develop sport and we have enough funding in this country to make it so that athletes don't need to have these other jobs. Yeah, Molly, I mean, speaking from, a, from an athlete perspective, do you or any of your teammates, uh, uh, what sort of jobs or things are, are they doing in order to ensure that they can carry on being an athlete yeah so this climbing's pretty um well it's not a new sport but it's new in um 
the public eye, I guess. Um, there's not a lot of funding that goes into it. And climbing companies aren't known for paying their athletes, basically. There's a lot of product deal. So in the UK, there's only myself and one other woman who are actually full-time climbers. Every other person I know on the British team, every other climber who uh, calls themselves a professional climber, they will have uh, part-time jobs on the side or they study to uh, have the time to train. Um, so there's not many climbers who actually only climb full-time. And do you think having having the Olympics and showcasing this sport, which you said is, is really new uh, and is making its debut and, and isn't that popular in the UK yet, do you think that would have had a massive impact and, and possibly changed a lot of the future for, for those women climbers? Yeah, I really think um, the Olympics had already brought a little buzz around climbing. I think it had become a lot more popular in the last few years. I certainly saw a lot more about it in the, in the media, um, in the run up to Tokyo. And I just hope that this um, postponement of the Games hasn't kind of put a pause or, or stopped this uh, upward momentum that climbing has had. Because I think it's really hard to fund um, climbing. Like it's very accessible in the fact that there are a lot of climbing walls in the UK, but it's a pretty expensive sport. And it is quite, um, it's like naturally selective in who can do it, like which background you're from. And I was very, I'm very grateful for my parents taking me to a climbing wall when I was very young and, and funding my entire competition career until I got my own sponsors at the age of like 18. Um, but without them, uh, there's not a chance I could have pursued climbing in the way I have and I know it's a struggle for a lot of my friends working a lot of hours to support their climbing. But I hope that as it becomes more popular, more people do it, um, more mainstream companies see how cool a sport is and are able to support more athletes so that we can keep pushing climbing. Because I think we have a long way to go as well. It's like um, I'm a Sky Scholar and there are, I think, 12 of us on the program. I'm the only climber and um, everyone else is from, I'd say, a more popular sport. There's a few swimmers. Um, athletes in athletics, gymnasts, and they have all this research into their sport and they use heart rate monitors and, and they do all this, like I call it special stuff in their training. And that's just normal to them because they are in like really elite sports that have a lot of people who put research and time into it and climbing has none of this. There's barely any research done into it. And, and I think we have a long way to go when people become more interested in where the sport can go. And that exposure is so important for sports like that, that only have maybe, a, a, you know, every four years, a, a finite window to platform themselves, platform the athletes, build some coverage and build sponsorships and also build participation at the grassroots, which is, you know, massive focus for women in sport. Ali, with, with what we looked at with good form, you know, we talked about the momentum that, that's been lost potentially through this summer of invisibility if you like with women's sport so what did what did the, the data tell data tell us about that to an extent you know what we were already feeling in terms of whether um women's sport was being seen to take a, a back seat versus men's you know when we were talking initially and there was no live sport whatsoever um all the talk was around when will the premier league return um, you know, and then maybe the focus shifted to men's cricket and men's rugby. Um, and it was women's sport that was, you know, some of the first first events to be cancelled completely, you know, seasons completely postponed and with no investment or energy going into bringing that back. 
um, what was really interesting in the um, in the data that we looked at was going out to sports fans, you know, understanding their view of that. Because I think often within the industry we're very close to these issues and we spend a lot of time talking about them and, and thinking about them. But from a fan perspective, um, you know, our question was, has that been noticed? And do people consider it to be a problem? You know, we had uh, nearly 80% of people, 79%, saying that they believed it was important that the momentum of women's sport continues to develop after the pandemic. Um, and two-thirds, 69%, believed there was a risk that women's sport will suffer more than men's. And so to see that these issues are getting traction amongst sports fans rather than, you know, the people very, very close to it, either from a participation point of view or working with the industry I think was very very heartening in some ways but equally it just highlighted that there's a there's a massive issue there in terms of how women's sport can, can rebound the pandemic and how it will potentially be impacted in a, in a much greater respect than um, the men's is from its kind of financial position I suppose as, as a starting point but also it's it's general visibility um, being lower than we would we would want it to be. I know that we're obviously all deeply saddened by the lower visibility of women's sport post coronavirus lockdown. But something that I've been thinking about a lot since that great summer last year where we had football, tennis, netball, cricket, athletics, golf, cycling, even more, was I found that an inadvertent consequence was that it kind of smooths over the cracks. There are still so many, so many inequalities that this lockdown has now exposed and I'm hoping it will force these organisations and governing bodies to rethink about how they structure and fund these sports. Because just in the football um, ambit, you know, last year there were record viewings for the BBC with that England semi-final when we lost to the USA. I think it was the highest viewership they'd had to date. But then now we're seeing these teams fold up, you know, like ASC filed. Obviously, they've done a U-turn on it, but we spoke to some of the team members on our show and they're now having to pay to participate. You know, how could they have such, for want of a better word, flimsy structure and not, that's not just to point the finger at AFC file, but in general football in this country, you know, we think we've taken such great strides, but with a crisis like this, it's really shown how weak the foundations are. Yeah, I com completely agree. I think, um, you know, it's still seen to be a leap of faith for, for broadcasters and for sponsors to get involved in women's sport and you know it shouldn't be that way you know it shouldn't be um contingent on someone hedging their bets and making an early investment and hoping for the best and you know we know that the audience is there if it's positioned correctly you know, as as you say last summer really really showed us that but yet the foundations still seem to be weak and you know the the sport like women's sport is too reliant on individual organizations or, or broadcasters kind of going out on a bit of a limb to say we're, we'll do this and we'll commit to it um, and the infrastructure just doesn't exist in the same in the same way as it as it does for a lot of much more established men's sports and molly how you know you, you've got two like you said that there's two of you who are the most prominent um, G GB athletes, I would say, in the sport. So, how does it compare the reality right now for you and the the male climbers in Team GB? Um, I'd I'd actually say I'm very lucky to be in a sport that's 
more equal than most. And I think that's because it's a new sport. Um, when I do a competition, men and women's events are held at the same time, equal prize money. Um, and I'd say that there's probably more pro female athletes in climbing than there are men, which is really, really awesome. But I think the women have worked really hard to do that. They are on top of their social media, um, really pushing themselves on rocking competitions. And I think they just generally work a little bit harder than the men do because they know they have to, to um, get all the support they need to do the sport. But in the UK, there's, um, n there's pretty much no pro male climbers. Ali, do you think we're going to see a bit of a reset button on that? Obviously, Molly talked about climbing being a fairly new sport, so they've managed to almost create from scratch a bit more of an equal playing field, although you know, she's mentioned that women have been fighting a lot harder for that. Do you think we will see a bit of a reset button on the way some sports um, set things up? I know the Women's 100 that was meant to happen this summer was going to be really unique because there was equal prize money for men and women, and that will still happen next summer. But do you think we're going to see a bit of an adjustment? We will, yeah, because if, if there's one thing that the, the pandemic has forced it's for sports organizations to really scrutinize you know what they're doing and how they how they fund their athletes how they position their sport in the marketplace and you know one thing that is becoming increasingly clear is that sports organizations are going to have to work a whole lot harder to to engage sponsors and to do things differently you know there's going to need to be more data behind um sponsorship deals there's need going to need to be more of an evidence base to support um, you know, sourcing that funding from both sponsors and broadcasters. And actually the ones who will succeed will be the ones who um, do things differently and challenge the status quo and attract attention for the right reasons. And I think that in itself presents a huge opportunity for women's sport. Anita, do you think there'll be a, a bit of a change in the media as well? I know lots of people have been saying that they, they, they definitely don't think that the momentum is going to be lost. And, and you, you guys have adjusted almost the way that you tell stories and look to tell different stories. Do, do you think the, the bigger commitment we saw last summer is still going to continue once more women's sport comes back? That's a great question. And it's really tough because I, well, obviously, well, I'm in this industry where I'm seeing so many jobs being decimated at the same time as well. But I think the fact that there's an appetite there from the fans and us who work in this industry to tell those stories, I, th I think that will be the key to it. But sadly, the coronavirus is having an impact across so many industries. So the storytellers that would be there usually, there aren't going to be as many of them. We've just got to hope that through initiatives like the Equality Check campaign that I believe The Telegraph um, started and had many notable names like Denise Lewis, Gabby Lowen or Jessica Ennis-Hill sign will force the government to invest more wisely so that we can continue that momentum. I think it's really hard to predict what will happen when we're in a place um, to have women's sports back to regu regular schedule. Molly, with with now Tokyo in your sights, um, and it's it's so close to to be a possibility for you. What are your expectations for what that could be like for you as an athlete? We've obviously seen Jessica Ennis Hill, Dina Asher Smith, to name but a few of athletes who have 
gone to Olympic Games and or World Championships and become household names. So what is, what is your, in your sights? What, what do you want to see happen for the sport of climbing and also for yourself? Um, I'd love to see climbing become um, a well-recognized sport. When I was younger, or even still now, when people ask me what I do and I say I'm a professional climber, sometimes people laugh, which is quite frustrating. Or they're like, really? I didn't know that was a thing or I didn't know that was a job. And I'd just love for it to be accepted as, as a sport because it's, it's really tough physically. Um, and it's, it's, it's just as much a sport as any other that you see at the Olympic Games. But I think having, being in the Olympic Games gives it that credibility, I guess, that most people need for it to be considered you know, a real a job for someone to have. So I'd love to see climbing gain a lot more respect. I'd also love to see more people taking part in climbing because I think it is a wonderful sport and a sport where... I mean, there's no correct body type for it. There's no correct age. Um, I climb with 80-year-olds at the wall sometimes, and I also have five-year-olds at the wall. So it really is like a sport for everyone. And I really hope that by seeing it on TV, people think, ah, oh, maybe this is a sport I could try. So that's what I'd love to see for the sport. And for myself, yeah, Jess Ennisil, um has always been an inspiration of mine. So is Kelly Holmes. And I met her once and it was amazing. And I'd love to follow in their footsteps, really. And, you know, be a, a household name as a British female athlete and one of colour as well. So that, that's my dream, to be in Tokyo, in Paris, maybe even LA. Anita, we, well, that's, that's something that um, in the media is, is, is almost part of the responsibility, right? It's about platforming those people. It's about inspire, inspiring the next generation. And it, that's what, why visibility is so important and why as a charity, we're always sort of banging on about it. Do you think we're going to look back on this weird summer and think, oh, that was a strange blip and you know, just look, at, look at how we've bounced back? Or do you think there's going to be some long-term implications? I love that weird summer, yeah. <laughs> so I think there are going to be some long-term implications because, as I said, I felt like the last summer of sport, you know, the women's summer of sport last year smoothed over the cracks where we now have seen it's exposed these weak foundations. But equally, we're also having important conversations about the way these sports are run. So, for example... We've all seen the news about this British gymnastics scandal. Had the coronavirus and all, the, all this time where we've been indoors and we've all been on our laptops or our phones more often not have taken place, I'm not sure news like that would have had the impact it has. Equally, there was also the scandal within pro wrestling and this hashtag of speaking out where women finally felt brave enough to share their stories. So... I think we're going to look back at this weird summer, as you said, of 2020 as almost like a time of reckoning where we have to put our hands up and say maybe we've been complicit in some of the way things have run previously in that um, we thought the likes of football was doing great, but really it's not. And then also, why have we not heard these stories or created environments where athletes feel more confident to tell these stories or, you know, speak up about issues that they're facing so I'm really optimistic that going forward things will be a lot better for athletes and young people coming into the sport. Ali as, as we look ahead now and we're easing our way out of this there's sports that have come back including some women's sport with golf and tennis 
We're yet to see spectators there, but in the survey we did, we did ask a couple of questions of, of fans and how they would feel about returning. So what, what, were, what did they say in terms of watching sport and also going to it um, when, when that's a possibility? It's a really interesting one because we've been tracking this for quite a few months now and it's certainly changing over time. Um, you know, and I think even government announcements today about you know, fans can potentially be back in stadiums in October or November will impact people's kind of positive positivity towards that idea. But I think what we are seeing is you know, a high level of nervousness around um, Know, going back to stadia and being in big crowds and um, you know, a certain level of uncertainty about whether the experience will be you know the the experience that people are familiar with whether it will be the same if there is social distancing in place or um stadia are half full for so there's certainly been some kind of fluctuation in the data i think as people's confidence levels increase decrease so over the last few months um, but in general, you know, I think people have really um, realised what they're missing, you know, that having something taken away from them where, you know, if you go week in, week out to your local football club and you can't do that anymore, you know, we're seeing people saying, I can't wait to go back and I'll be back as soon as I'm, as soon as I'm allowed to. Um, but also people considering other options, you know, what else could I go to watch? Um, what will I start watching on TV because it's the first thing back and what I usually watch isn't there. So, you know, within that as well, I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity for, for women's sport to put itself at the forefront and, you know, to be one of the first where um, crowds are being attracted back or where fans are allowed back to watch in small numbers and, and to appeal to a different audience because it's an experience that, that people have been missing so much over the last few months. And in women's sport, that, that's even more important as well, because we see netball especially, which has been really damaged financially by not being able to have fans in, in person. Molly, what, what's, the, what's it like for you at events? Uh, are, you, are you guys more about streaming or is it about the crowd experience? How does it work with climbing? Because I've only ever seen it on, on, online, so I've never actually been in person to, to watch it. Yeah, so I'd say like for the athlete, the crowd experience is more important. Um, there's a big following on, on live streams for climbing competitions, but the crowd really does make a, a competition what it is. I actually did uh, an international event in March, at the very beginning of March before everything started to lock down, um, but there were no crowds allowed and it was a really, really strange experience. Um, it didn't quite feel like what I was... Uh, like a normal competition for me so I think uh, climbing will it'll definitely be strange sometimes people uh, perform way better with the support of a crowd like I can hear certain voices in a crowd and that really helps me push through when I'm tired so I, I think it will definitely have an impact but climbing is something you can watch really nicely online as well um, and I just hope that more people will be sat at home thinking, oh, I've never seen climbing. It's going to debut at the Olympics in Tokyo. Maybe I could start watching some competitions before then just to see what it's like. Anita, with, with, your, with your guys' show and, and with the people that listen to it, have you sensed there's a kind of a bit of excitement as well about, about the prospect of, of people going back to watch women's sport? What's the mood, I guess, in the camp? It's a difficult one because I think you know, we're all excited to see any sport at the moment, you know, sad as it is, you know, as soon as we knew that some live sport was coming back, we were all excited. And 
I think that excitement is still there, even if it is only on the telly at the moment. There is still a lot of scepticism, scepticism, I'd say, about the safety elements of it. And I think that was touched on before, you know, that nervousness and whether it's really safe or not. But as we know with women's football, I keep going to football because it's one of the, the sports we cover a lot, having a lot of teams in London. The setup of those stadiums means that you could have several hundred fans watching and still respect social distancing. So we hope with the news that obviously a lot of the players are now back, the WSL players are back in training, that will be one their priority to start getting fans in as soon as pre-season starts in um, a couple of months. But for me personally, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the fence. I just want to make sure we're all good, first of all, before we introduce fans coming back into it. Because there's still so much uncertainty and it doesn't help when the guidelines aren't clear. And yeah, once I think we've got leadership that tells us where things stand, then me personally, I'll feel a lot better. And I think that's something that I've noticed with some of the fans that have reached out as well. No, it's definitely true. And I think, I think that's, a, that's a feeling that's shared by many. And we all hope that there will be some women's sport uh, on available and uh, on TV soon. And I think there is some women's tennis, which you can stream on the BBC. And there's going to hopefully be some women's cricket at the end of the summer. So we're slowly, we're slowly easing our way back into it, but it's going to take a long time. Thank you so much, Ali, Anita and Molly for joining us. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, for, thank you. for the opportunity. And thank you to everyone for listening. As always, make sure you let us know what you think. Get in touch with support at womeninsport.org and let us know your thoughts and any issues that you're facing as well. We've got some new research on the impact of lockdown, which will be coming out uh, at the moment. So make sure you head to the research and advice service to have a look at that. Um, and we're also going to be doing a special live podcast next month. So keep your eyes out for that one. Thank you to our sponsors, CSM Live. And thank you all for listening. Bye.